Hey, I'm Stuart McLeod, CEO and co-founder of Carbon. Welcome to the Accounting Leaders Podcast, the show where I go behind the scenes with the world's top accounting leaders. Today, we're joined by Linda Steffens, the author of Accounting Revolution and founder of The Small Business Project. With 20 years of industry experience, Linda is transforming the way accountants connect with clients. She developed her advisory training as a result of seeing her peers overwhelmed, undervalued, and simply burned out. The Small Business Project supports accountants in building the confidence and capabilities they need to lead successful practices. It's our pleasure to welcome to the Accounting Leaders Podcast, Linda Steffens. Linda Steffens, well, firstly, welcome to the Accounting Leaders Podcast. Thank you very much, Stuart. Very glad to be here. (laughs) I'm glad we could uh, get this sorted finally. Tell me, um, you live in one of the one of the most uh, wonderful places in the world. Have you always been on the Gold Coast? No, I haven't always been on the Gold Coast. I spent uh, many years in a more regional environment uh, on the Darling Downs. Uh, oh, wow. Yes, I, I grew up in a country area not far from there um, and also spent a couple of years uh, travelling the world and uh, being based in London. So, yeah, but I particularly love the Gold Coast and the water. The water really draws me. It calms me. It does a lot of things for me. So I'm very happy to be living here. (laughs) When were you in London? What was that experience like? I was doing um, the traditional backpacker working holiday for a couple of years and uh, doing some temp work in the accounting industry as well and um, had a fabulous time, completely just young with no responsibility (laughs) and um, really lived it up, Stuart. (laughs) Oh, well, I'm jealous there. (laughs) Uh, So you've been an accountant or uh, did you do uh, accounting degree at college? Is that was that the entree? Yes, yes. I've been in accounting for just over thirty years now, and it really my accounting story, I suppose, started right back at at the age of 14 years old. Um, I already knew at the age of 14 that I wanted to be an accountant, and it was the first time that I laid eyes on debits and credits and. double entry bookkeeping and the whole system, it just worked. It made the world a better place. I understood it. I was good at it and uh, I was sold, you know, right from there. But, of course, the journeys had its um, peaks and troughs and ups and downs, but still uh, very much in love with accounting uh, accountants in the accounting industry. Being that young, you, the, was your, were your folks sort of, did they expose you to the industry? Were they small business owners? How, how, what was that journey? Yeah, they were. And, and you know, I reflect on it now. I can actually say I've had a lifetime in business because I grew up, my parents are farmers, primary producers. And so I grew up not realising it at the time, of course, but seeing the, I suppose, the impact or the influence of business on a family environment. We could do some things and were afforded some great opportunity because of that business. Uh, But also, too, there were times where you couldn't do things because the business came first. So I just grew up just knowing that and that clearly helped me as I went into accounting. But yeah, I was uh, influenced, I suppose I would 
toddle along to the accountant once a year with mum and dad and, <laughs> and sit into the meetings. And, and, you know, so I had an interest right from probably my teenage years around that. So that's how that all happened. But, yeah. And being in agriculture is a, a, a hard life. It's a very hard life. Yeah, my family's still in agriculture. My brother and his family's still in agriculture. Mm. What are your earliest memories from the farm? The earliest memories for me, uh, I think, is waddling outside as a, as a toddler and talking to the chickens and uh, collecting eggs, being chased by roosters, talking to the cows, you know. Um, so I think it was really this freedom, this airiness, this space was what I loved about it. But it was always a very busy environment and, you know, it was very obvious that my family worked very, very hard. Uh, so I suppose it instilled in me a very strong work ethic. I'm sure. I mean, you can't get more Australian than that. <laughs> no, that's right. So the hats and the boots and the <laughs> all of that goes with it. So farm life and animals, etc., and then sort of this this vision of uh, of working with numbers, and how did that evolve? And, and what was your sort of journey to your first first role as an accountant? Yeah, so I remember um, going off to university or college, uh, doing my accounting degree. And I think, as I was saying, my idea of what accounting was, was a public practice accountant. So the people that did tax returns and financials and things like that, that's what I understood it to be. And that's what I wanted to be. And it was really at the time, a wonderful time for the accounting industry when talent was around. There was no shortage. <laughs> there was, yeah, seriously, I think people in the industry now can't even you know, see a glimmer of hope in that side of things. But there were plenty of students just like me all filing out of university looking for jobs. So to actually get a job was difficult uh, because the market was flooded with candidates. So my first accounting role was back in the country town that I grew up in uh, for a regional firm there. And I spent uh, a number of years there learning the ropes, I suppose, um, before I travelled overseas. Mm. We'll come back to, you know, what's changed in the industry regarding the amount of talent and everything. But um, so first job at a regional firm and then and then did you go to the big smoke after that? Did you join a big four and have your soul sort of destroyed slowly or <laughs> what was? No, I've never experienced the big four, Stuart. Uh, no, that's not something that appealed to me, I think, once I started working. I certainly came out of university thinking I want to be part of this big four crowd, but I didn't secure a job there. It was in that regional firm. And I think looking back on it now, I'm quite happy for that experience and, and not necessarily have gone there, given some of the challenges, you know, that employees <laughs> might find in, in those larger organisations. So, and what it was, I think, was it enabled me to connect very closely and quickly with business owners. You know, in the smaller firms, you're connecting with clients very early in your career. And um, again, reflecting, that's what I love. I love connecting with people and being able to help and solve their problems. Um, and so without that, I think I probably would have struggled to continue my career. But uh as luck would have it, that's how it worked out. <laughs> I imagine in a regional firm, if you 
made it past the first week without sort of the client meetings or something. It's probably rare, right? <laughs> Be very rare, yes, because, you know, you're often – look, there's some sizable regional firms, but, you know, um, and the one I was in, I think it was about 10 staff at the time. But still, it's a regional country environment where everybody says hello, uh, you pass them in the street, I – knew a lot of the clients um, I'd gone to school with their children. So I always talk about the first time I had to sit down in front of a farmer who I'd gone to school with his youngest daughter or something like that and attempt to give them advice and sitting there thinking that this gentleman thinking of me, this young whippersnapper, how would she know anything? Yeah, you know? What, what would she know? Yeah. yeah, yeah so yeah. I clearly remember that. And so when I'm talking to younger accountants and they may say things where they feel not confident to give advice, um, I certainly have some experience to draw on. <laughs> <laughs> and well, let's step into it a little bit, Linda. Like, the industry and the, and the world has come a long way since then. Um, I'm hoping it wasn't a horrific experience for you. I'm hoping that uh, that he demonstrated some respect and was over probably able to overcome perhaps his own prejudices at that a at that stage of of where the world was up to. Right? Yes, he did. He was a very polite oh, gentleman <laughs> and a lovely man. I think, and this is the experience that I pass on to others is that. It's our own expectation and our own thoughts and feelings that we project onto situations, you know, that often uh, the people that are, you know, listening to our advice uh, realise that we actually do have something to offer and a lot to offer. It's how we perceive ourselves. So, <laughs> you know, um, that can be what's holding us back, not really the other way. And I'm sure the the nature of that experience had you doing up late, doing your homework and preparing and, and really understanding what, what that meeting was going to be all about. Exactly. I've always been a preparer and, you know, in the accounting industry, we have a, a fair percentage of perfectionism hanging around. Yes, I didn't go into things on the fly. I always knew who was coming in, what I wanted to say, what we tried to get out of the meeting. Um, and so, yes, preparation was always key. And I would always be thinking about it the night before, particularly when you're starting out, you're not used to that. You definitely get nervous about it. So let's circle back a bit. I mean, you know, you talked about the volume of graduates and, and plenty of talent um, and and even you know listening to the way you were describing that that time it was sort of a um, a view or a perception of the industry that that was revered it was something to be an accountant it was it was a thing and and people looked up to you and or to the industry and and to you of course yes and and <laughs> and people aspired to be an accountant or at least to be in and around the business you know graduate schools and things what what's changed. Perhaps it's been an industry-driven thing a little bit that, uh, you know, perhaps we've not quite opened our minds to different things and changing attitudes and, and you know, different ways of doing things, uh, smarter business practices. And, uh, you know, it's become a little bit all about the money, maybe not quite so client-centric as it could be. But, yeah, I, I think it's that, 
from an industry perspective, from where I see it now and the future of accounting is really, and there's a bright future for accounting, Stuart. It absolutely, I, I will would never be in this industry if I didn't have hope for that, you know, and I absolutely love it and a really bright uh, future for talented people. But as business owners in accounting, we need to look at things differently. We need to look at what our employees and are doing, the types of services we're offering, how we're interacting with our clients and our market to build businesses that people want to belong to and want to be a part of. And I don't know that we've done that over the last 20 years, 20, 30 years. We've been more about just doing what we do rather than looking into the future and how do we continue to evolve, I think, is the thing. Yeah. Well, there's a lot there um, to unpack, but this is a global issue. It's not it's not isolated to um, to Labrador. Um, no, definitely not. <laughs> let's not um, bullshit here. That There is a lot of sort of old white male that have... Um, you know, held on to the way that they've done things because it's always worked, and and that that's not that appealing to the next generation. You know, what twenty two year old is going to work for the same firm and and become partner thirty five years later? I mean, that that's not realistic anymore. No, that's exactly right. And I think if we look at really uh, the categorical shift that we've had just in the last two years, uh, you know, with everything going on in the world. It's just made this pace of change, you know, that we really need to open our eyes to this. And, yeah, and look, rightly so, I, I get why there is a demographic of, you know, accountants, perhaps male of a certain age, that don't want to change a lot of things. They're looking towards retirement. But the thing is, is if you're looking to retirement, you've got to have someone coming through to buy these practices or your assets from you. So how do you successfully do that? And and again, I think we've just been so busy doing what we've had to do and all of the work and the compliance type sides of things has kept us very busy and kept our heads down instead of being able to think about our businesses and plan for our businesses and even dream for what our businesses could be. Um, so I don't think we've had that time or even made that time. We won't solve this today, but there's a question. For me, there's a question about willing or, willing or able, right? Like, Correct. In my experience, we can, I, you know, particularly the younger generations that are, that are very willing to change and, and run their businesses differently and embrace technology. But there's a, you know, the, as I said, like, there's a massive irony here that is unrecognised that the more that the soon-to-be-retired generation embrace change and introduce technology and bring the younger generations through, the more multiples they're going to get. A lot of them think they're going to sell their business for, for you know, I don't know, like, you know, a million bucks earnings or, you know, 1x or something. Yes. But what, who's going to take it, right? Like we- <laughs> The reality, I, I, I have this same dichotomy or argument with uh, a lot of practitioners around outsourcing and this moral argument about keeping jobs in the country that, you know, you live and work in, but how can you keep jobs in a country where there are no people to fill them? So it's that same concept, you know, but, yes, I like what you said about willing and able. I think we are all able 
it's whether we are willing. And, you know, accountancy by its very nature has been a very easy business in that we haven't had to market. Our clients come to us because they need to. <laughs> That's lucky. That's, that's lucky that, that they don't have to. Correct. <laughs> they don't. They have to pay us to do things that they can't do on their own. And it's been a very profitable industry and remains so. But I really see it at a tipping point. Um, and if we, we don't really look at it now or do something now about it, we, we could be in some... Uh, quite a bit of hot water, even more than we're in now. But I see, you know, the younger generation coming through, which is fabulous. Well, I was going to ask you, do you think the vendors have some, are a little bit culpable here? Because I think maybe not so much right now, but pre-COVID there was sort of this compliance uh, is dead, yeah. Um, long, long live compliance kind of mantra, right? You know, the computer's going to do everything. Did that scare or not scared, did that put off a generation of accountants or at least a significant number uh, enough to, you know, um, dissuade them from perhaps entering the industry? I don't know that it put off people entering the industry. I would see that it, and I still see it now, that it certainly dissuades internally employees to want to change because whether they recognise it or not, job security is very important for them and even with just that noise around you you go well if a machine's going to we're going to automate something that i used to spend 10 hours a week doing and now it's going to go back to one hour a week well all of a sudden will i be redundant now someone from my perspective that sees so much more that accountants can be doing and very profitably so I can't even fathom how they would think that, but that's where where they do think. So I, I see that aversion to change playing out um, because of some of those things. Look, compliance will never be dead. Our regulators are going <laughs> nowhere. So, oh, so yeah, they're, they're going everywhere. That's the problem. <laughs> exactly. They're not going to leave that go and it's only going to get more complex. So business owners only need us more. What we need to do as smart business owners and um, professionals is to work out the best way and the most efficient way that we can do that. And technology, AI, getting clients into the cloud, doing all of those things, which will attract a younger market, you know, to you as far as team members go, is the smart thing to be looking at. No, definitely. I think a young accountant doesn't want to go to a I don't know if they do barbecues anymore. Do they, they, they? You know, just doesn't want to hang out with their friends and and yes. and sort of hear. You know, well, what are you being an accountant for? The computer's going to do it in five years, right? Like that. That's not a. You know, whereas if they go and if if they're having the same conversation, they're curing cancer. Well, that's a different story, isn't it? So yeah. Although AI is coming into health as well. There you go. Correct. It is. It's coming in everywhere. It's it's. The robots are coming. They're going to take over. No, they're not. You know, I think, yeah, okay, I take your point there. That That's uh, very good. I could see how that would happen. And I think that plays into what I would call this image problem that we have in public practice that we've perpetuated and that, you know, is up to us collectively as an industry to start breaking down. And that's looking at 
what it is we're doing, what services we're providing, how are we engaging and relating with our clients, what relationships are we building. So that's up to all of us. We, you know, not one firm or not a, the, even the top 10% of firms can't do that on their own. It's an industry-wide thing that we all need to get involved with. Yeah. Uh, make accounting sexy again, you reckon? That's it. I often say, oh, you've stolen my line. I, oh, I no, no. I'm <laughs> sorry. I'm sorry. You have it back, no, please. No, <laughs> no. I talk about it in a different way. I talk about that advisory and business improvement advisory can make the unsexy side of business sexy. So uh, accountants get to sell sexy. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. There you go. There's a Justin Timberlake song that we can overlay later on. Yes. <laughs> Well, you know, just to round round this topic out, what out of ten, what do you give sort of the industry bodies in in uh, you know their their contribution or culpability in the industry image? Out of ten, oh, now that's tricky. Oh, look, I think I'd give them um, their culpability as in ten, they're fully culpable for the image. Yeah, well, I don't know. Let's make our own scale as we go, right? <laughs> Well, look, I would give them a, a six out of ten for trying. I think you know, I, and they're doing their best. I certainly see the things that I read that they are talking about different topics and at least highlighting it. Are they helping with how to actually go about it? I'm not sure that that's happening. But again, I think you know, there's always this issue that they too are business people, so then play to their target market. So. Is it really then the target market that needs to drive this? So is it the accountants? Is it the members that really need to say, I want something else? Which one's the chicken and which one's the egg? Yes, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Well, tell me about uh, your life's passion and and the projects that you're working on because you work with a lot of accountants uh, uh, across Australia at least. Uh, um, I'm not sure. Tell me about your progress through that journey. Yeah. So my passion really is throughout my whole career, if I look back, it, it's always been about helping others and, you know, using whatever skills I have to perhaps help. Initially, that was in the accounting and compliance areas for many years of my life. As I then proceeded into management roles, owning my own firms, becoming an employer, it then became more a how do I lift up my team? How do I lift up those around me? How do I make them the best that they can be, which clearly helps me get done what I need to get done? You know, it really has been about success of others. That That's where what makes my heart sing when I see people do things they never thought they could. And particularly now in accounting in my journey, I know that I have experienced what I call the business improvement advisory side uh, with clients uh, myself and the really lovely, warm and fuzzy feelings I get from working in that capacity with clients and the successes that we have, well, the highs and lows that you go through with clients, I really enjoy that. And I love that, actually. It's the most heartfelt work I've ever done in 30 years. And I want to share that with other accountants. That's my passion. Because if I can share that and get other accountants to see that that's what they will get, I'm 100% certain it will motivate them to do all of the things we've just been talking about. 
You must have some wonderful stories over the years. Tell us the about the, the, the best journey you've had with a client along the way. Well, I've just had one recently, actually. It was a business owner. She was in business uh, for a little while before I met her. And um, she was someone who also suffered from uh, anxiety in her life. And so we talk a lot about, you know, what logically was the right thing to do with the business when we looked at the numbers, here's what you need to do. But she would go away from these sessions and then come back the next time and go, no, I didn't do that. And there'd be some sort of excuse around why I didn't do that. It was then collaborating with others to help us break down that, I suppose, the heart side, not the head side, you know, to help her achieve and and break through these barriers. And I now she's gone from really a one man band to having five employees turning over three, four times what she was. And we're only just starting. And she cannot even believe that that's where she could have gone in just, I think it's been about 18 months. So just breaking down those barriers, looking at a whole different lots of things. Well, that, that's fascinating because that, that's not what you learned at uh, college, right? <laughs> How to help somebody with their anxiety. What was your process? How did you recognise and, and, and bring people in to sort of help her with her journey? So I'm an accountant and uh, so anxiety and mental health and, and, and general well-being certainly not where I practice. I was able to recognise that something was holding her back and I the important thing for me and something that I will always ask other accountants to do is the strength of your networks and strategic alliances. And so I have a very good friends that I could recommend her to to help her and we talked as a collaborative group, you know, that we can see logically, here's what we need to do with the business. But then she would be open or felt trusting enough of our relationship to say, yeah, but I'm scared of this, or this is the fear, or this is the block or whatever that was. And then our health professional uh, would help us with that. So it was a collaborative approach. I'm certainly not advocating to go practicing in a whole lot of areas that uh, are not your specialty. Very, very dangerous. Do not do that at home, anybody. Yeah, no, no, don't prescribe the perks. <laughs> but it's the strength in your strategic alliances and, you know, having relationship, realising that business and a professional or personal journey is much more than the logic you know there's there's a whole lot we're complicated individuals so there's a lot more to it yeah well it, it's probably worth mentioning at that juncture you know the experience that our firms had and and that i hear over and over and heard over and over is like covid was just such a stressful time yes for accountants because that not only were they accountants they became you know, therapists and friends and comforters and, you know, l- lenders of last resort. And and I guess what you're sort of leaning on then is the accountant of today is a um, has capacity for resources that they never either did or had to in generations gone past. Absolutely. And I think as the professional of today, regardless of what service that we are delivering, I think personally, there's a lot of personal development, awareness, objectivity, acceptance of who you are and your strengths and weaknesses and playing to those strengths that you need to develop yourself. You need to understand that side of yourself because 
then and only then can you really see how you can help others or how you can support others and not be frightened by what might be presented to you. But yeah, I remember the first, the starting of COVID and I did a lot around the grief cycle to try to help accountants deal with, because that's what clients were going through and, and the rapid pace of change that we're okay with change accountants, but we generally like time to think about it and to, to make it happen. And a lot of information is the other one, information and time. We get both of those things. We're change champions, but fast, quick, no information, ugh, awful um, and very stressful. So it was a very tough time, really tough time. That's a really good analogy analysis. And But you're, you're working more with accountants today than, than running a practice. Tell me more about that. Yeah. So what I do now, again, you know, you asked me about my vision. It was to share this heartfelt, uh, you know, work with others that they could do that too. So I do that through teaching um, advisory engagement to accountants. So that's, uh, we have a program around that does that. Uh, and we, we are taking students through that. So it's not how to do the mechanics of advisory or the technical side of advisory. It's how to have the conversations and the client relationships around advisory. So that I believe is the real key. Probably 99% of accountants are already doing advisory in some shape or form and whether it's being paid for or not, you know, is a whole other issue. I believe that the industry is lacking this client engagement, client relationship techniques or processes. We have a process we've built around that based off of everything I've learned, you know, over 30 years and the personal development that I've done. And out of that often then comes, um, I will mentor and coach firms as well. So a coach and an educator, I would say, is where I hang around now, um, mainly in the advisory space. And tell me, Linda, about it. Do you have an, an, an example of somebody that you worked with that's sort of, you know, taken on, you've taken under your wing and, and they've uh, grown and developed their, their practice to help others? Yeah, absolutely. So a student of ours that I think they went through about 12 months ago, maybe through the program, uh, he had a firm um, or has a firm in Melbourne, a couple of partners, I think about 15 staff. And he knew he was at the stage of his professional career that he was pretty much done with compliance. It was, you know, I'm, I'm, good at it, we did it, it's great, but whew, I don't know if I can hang out for another 25 years doing this, you know. And um, so he had picked up a copy of my book from somewhere and had read the process that is in the book and had started implementing some of that but um, needed the support and the guidance uh, to take it further, to take it to its full extent. Uh, so what he did then after coming through the program, and the program takes 12 weeks, and then uh, we do eight weeks worth of implementation after that, he's already uh, landed about $40,000, $50,000 worth of advisory work in under six to eight weeks of implementing everything. And I just met with him yesterday, actually, one of the follow-up calls, and we're putting a budget in place for the next 12 months. And look, he has the capacity to do probably 120000 more, but it's then about the resourcing and dealing with some of the internal components of the firm. So we will work with work on that. But 
the ability and and his realization that clients will pay for this that they do want it if it's positioned in the right way. He has had no trouble converting his clients using our process. It's been he he will tell you that it's been very easy. He feels funnier about it than and the client's ready to jump in. It's been very, very successful for him. So he's very happy. We're very happy and we'll continue to work together. So yeah. What was the light bulb moment for him, do you think? Oh gosh, putting me on the, there's probably many and that that's something that we definitely focus on uh, in our 12 weeks worth of knowledge that we do in the course is this mindset shift. And I think he's still having them, you know, is that we're taught to believe that our value is in the answers that we provide when really it's in the questions that we can pose. And his journey through breaking down his own mindset around that is still ongoing. But I think him looking at advice, we we see definitely in all of our students what they think advisory is and what they can achieve with advisory before they come into the, the course and the process and what they think afterwards is dramatically different. So it's that shifting of where we sit as a professional. So it's taking us away from the processes and how we dealt with compliance, which we've only always known, and that's fine. We, we're doing what everybody before us has done. That That's exactly how we need to do that. But advisory or business improvement advisory, I like to call it, is needs to be done differently. It's an entirely different process. And so switching that, changing up a mindset that's been in, instilled in us for many, many years is is a journey. So we see our students go on that journey. How's that playing out with his partner, his his fellow partners? Yeah, so he has one other partner. Well, of course, the partner's loving to see the ex turnover come in, and uh, he's loving that um, our student has, you know, starting to do work that he loves again. But of course, the dynamics of the firm, yeah, there's going to have to be some discussions about that. Absolutely accountants have this amazing ability to not run a business like a business. They, they're going to split their revenue and do all kinds of funny things. It's, there's some irony there too. <laughs> yes. Luckily, I suppose in this case, it was really this particular partner was running the compliance accounting side and they've got a, a wealth side. So uh, the partners were, were dealing somewhat you know, fairly in different areas of the practice. So, yeah. As you've gone on your journey, like um, how, how do you think about your succession plans and, and enjoying life and balancing all of that? <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. I've, I never thought I'd become this uh, entrepreneurial business junkie at, uh, you know, 50 <laughs> years of age. Uh, oh, you looked at <laughs> Thank you. Nowhere near it, nowhere near there. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, but uh, not true. Um, so... I'm loving, absolutely loving what I'm doing right now. And look, the business is still emerging. And so, you know, it's growing. And so it has its challenges. But um, I can see it being something that I will be very happily leading for a great many years yet, because it gives me such... Um, yeah, it's, it's my purpose. It, it's I understand why I've been put on this earth, you know, and that's been my own personal journey now. It's really about helping accountants to just achieve personally what they want from life. I can see the joy that it brings and the energy that you gain from from working with people like you describe that 
it's sort of like unlocking a, a you know a, a hidden secret, right? It's truly amazing, like you mentioned, to see those light bulb moments, you know, happen on your students' faces or your coaching clients' faces, and they go. Oh, that's what you've been talking about, Linda. And, you know, I always have a joke with them that my evil plan is coming together, you know. Yeah, yeah. You just, just never told them what it was. Yeah. <laughs> but you can't do that, Stuart. You know, that's the thing. Everyone has to go on their own journey. And I'm quite comfortable with what everyone tells me their particular individual journey is. It's their journey, not mine. I'm just there to facilitate and to help them, support them, guide them. We have a value in our organisation we call being empathetically pushy. Oh, nice. I like that. <laughs> yeah. So that that's what we do. We are empathetically pushy. <laughs> Well, Linda, I mean, I'm I just so thrilled and happy for you that, uh, you know, you've you found this place in, in your journey and uh, I, I feel so thrilled for the people that you're helping and, and so that they can find their own purpose and, and their capacity to help their clients. I think accountants' capacity to further the not only the economy but people's individual journeys is so important and um you know the industry is so grateful for your efforts in in, in everything that you do <laughs> oh well you're very welcome i love it and look you know we we have the capacity as accountants to change the world stuart you know it, if a lot of people ask me well why don't you just coach or run your practice anymore and it's because i can make a greater impact if I spread and teach my knowledge to others who then go out and do the same thing. So that ripple effect is much greater and I'd rather share it with others than keep it to myself. So Spread the love. Spread, spread the love, the love. <laughs> yes. Let's do that. <laughs> well, Linda Steffens, I, th I think what you're doing is amazing and uh, thank you so much for being on the Accounting Leaders Podcast. You're absolutely a leader in accounting. <laughs> thank you so much, Stuart. It's been a pleasure and a joy talking to you. Thanks for listening to this episode. If you found this discussion interesting, fun, you'll find lots more to help you run a successful accounting firm at Carbon Magazine. There are more than a thousand free resources there, including guides, articles, templates, webinars, and more. Just head to carbonhq.com resources. I'd also love it if you could leave us a five-star review wherever you listen to this podcast. Let us know you like this session. We'll be able to keep bringing you more guests for you to learn from and get inspired by. Thanks for joining and see you in the next episode of the Accounting Leaders Podcast.